Uh, before we get going, will you please pray with me? Dear Father, I give you great thanks for your presence in our lives. Uh, I give you thanks for each person that is here today uh, to be together with you. Um, I pray that as we are here, as we are together, that, that you would speak to us, that we would be open to hear from you, not just individually, but collectively. What, it, what does it mean to hear from you as a gathered uh, group, as a gathered body? And so, so I pray you would help us in all those things um, to, to hear from you and to respond to you and to leave here being more like you. And I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are deep into our uh, summer sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. And so far, we have spent a lot of time looking at Jesus' activity in this region known as Galilee. And Galilee, when we looked at it earlier, we sort of placed a map up there of the region, and then we overlaid a map of Puget Sound area up there, and we found that it's not really that big. It's kind of like maybe from South Seattle up to a little bit north of uh, Bothell, up that direction. Uh, And so it, it really, when we started talking about how information got around and these kinds of things, we discovered that... When we think about it, we often think of it, it, it's very unknown to us, and so we don't know what the lay of the land looks like. And so all of a sudden, it started to become uh, the size of this area we were familiar with. So when we're talking about Jesus during this time, and how he's going from village to village and neighborhood to neighborhood and teaching in the synagogues, we sort of get a better idea for what it looks like as he goes around and he's healing, he's confronting the religious authorities, and I think most importantly, he is exceeding and ending everyone's expectations of who he is and what he is doing. And then something happens, and and, and I want to talk about this for a moment. It happens uh, just before the passage that we're going to get into today that is a critical uh, transition point in this this gospel. Uh, And Luke talks about it in chapter 9, verse 51. uh, And it says, As the time came uh, for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, another version called the message says when it came close to the time for his ascension he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem Uh, so up until this point again we've been in Galilee Jesus has been moving around and all of a sudden something happens where he he turns his face towards Jerusalem and that's his sole uh, target his sole destination and from this point on in the gospel we have Jesus going to Jerusalem and then staying and dying in Jerusalem, And so everything from here to that point is, is moving towards Jerusalem. In the process of getting to this point, Jesus has announced his death twice, the suffering that he's going to endure. Uh, and so here we have Jesus sort of taking all of this and again, setting his heart and his whole person towards Jerusalem and towards his death. Um, and, and last week, Martha talked to us about how Jesus often says things uh, and, and we hear it, and we agree with it, but then Jesus says, yeah, but it, it might not be the way you're thinking. Uh, yes, I'm the Messiah. We, last week, we talked about Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah, and, and, and Jesus kind of says, yeah, but, but maybe not the way you're thinking. And yeah, I am salvation, and salvation is here, but, but maybe that's not exactly what you think it looks like. That he often says, yes, but not what you think. And this is part of that, because he's saying, yes, I am the Messiah, but the Messiah is going to suffer and die for the sake of humanity, for your sake, for your friend's sake, for your family's sake, the stranger's sake, for your enemy's sake, for all of humanity, and ultimately to reconcile all things to God. 
And although things have been moving in this direction, especially from our vantage point of the future, we can look back and see how all the things Jesus has been doing has been pointing towards this. There's something in this moment where he turns, and lots of versions say he turns his face, and his sole destination is towards Jerusalem, and ultimately his death. So Jesus is now headed for his death. Have you ever had to face something, and maybe death for some of you, but even just have you ever had to face something that was bigger than you were? Something you might have been looking forward to, something you're not looking forward to, but just that reality of there's something bigger than me that I'm heading towards. Because Jesus is heading for something like that, something he has not encountered or experienced yet. Jesus has not experienced death, He has not experienced separation from God. These are new things for him. And so we have this turning point where Jesus sets off the unknown for Jerusalem and eventually to death and then eventually to life and resurrection. So he and his disciples are on this journey now. And we're just getting in on the beginning steps of this journey in the passage we're looking at today. Um... It's just the the beginning, and and there's huge things that have happened to get us here, um, and so I think I want all those things to be able to play into what we're what we're talking about today. Um, if you want to look with me in your Bible, it's Luke nine fifty seven through sixty two. If you don't have a Bible, we will have it up uh, on the screen uh, behind me, and you can follow along as I read up there. Again, this is uh, Luke nine fifty seven through sixty two. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but in my experiences, some of the most helpful, some of the most bizarre, and some of the most revealing things happen in the context of a trip, of a journey. When you're going out and you're hitting turns and and back roads and places you've never been and you're meeting new people and you don't know anything about them and some of the most interesting things happen there and so in the beginning of this trip Jesus encounters three people who we have not encountered yet they're not part of his usual group as far as we know and as they go someone walks up and says to Jesus I want to follow you wherever you will go now I can say as a a person who's been uh, following Jesus, uh, it's not often that you have someone come up and just say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Like we dream about moments like that, right? That's like super exciting. Uh, And so Jesus' response here is always interesting to me uh, because he basically says, well, you're going to have to be homeless if you want to follow me. Another person... uh, Jesus asks them, says, you follow me. And this person says, well, first let me go and bury my father. To which Jesus says, well, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Once again, Jesus' warmth is sort of oozing out here. 
Another person says, I will follow you, Lord, uh, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And this one, I think, is one of the harshest. And Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. It's one thing for Jesus to say, well, yeah, the timing isn't the best on that, but to say that that makes you unfit for service in the kingdom of God. But on this one, I will say, um, times when I've been driving with my kids and then they're in the back of the car and they say something like, Dad, look at this picture I drew or look at the picture of this cheetah in this book. And I say, I, I can't look back because if I look back, it's not just that I can't see what's going on in front of me. Because when I say I have to keep my eyes on the, in the car and turns, they're like, well, just wait for a straight spot, right? <laughs> and okay, well, so that's fine. But what happens is, is as I turn my head to really look at the picture, I have to turn around. The amount of effort it takes to keep this hand in this position on that spot on the wheel, when I turn, everything seems to go this way. Or I overcompensate and I go this way. It's very difficult and it's very rare that I can keep that there and just keep driving. We had a, I have a friend who we just, we were terrified to ride with him. Because if, you, if, if it was just you and him in the car, it was fine. But if there were people in the back seat, you could be easily traveling across three, four lanes of traffic at any one time. Because he'd just turn around and talk. And you're like, face the road. And he'd be like, why do you want me to face the road? And you're like, I'm just going to stop talking so you will look forward. There are three conversations that happen here. Three opportunities for someone to follow Jesus. And so why does it seem like Jesus is being uh, like the SNL character Debbie Downer? Is he just being a realist? Is he, is he just sort of saying, well, I just want you to know that it's going to be difficult. Like, I want you to be aware of what you're really getting into. Because again, he tells one person that I'm, I, he says, basically, I'm homeless. I have nowhere to call home. If that's what you want, then come on. He tells another person uh, that thing about honoring your mother and father, you going back and burying your father, and the thing that would be an aggressive affront to the cultural norm, you have to ignore that and follow me. And a third person, again, basically, to go back and say goodbye to your family would be declaring yourself unfit for service in the kingdom of God. And all these are completely true. These are the exact same words that Jesus is saying. But I wonder if this is a lot like some of the other things we've heard about, where Jesus is saying this, but he's also saying, yeah, but not the way you're understanding it. Because Jesus has just turned his face toward Jerusalem, toward a moment where he's going to be sweating his own blood in distress, and where he's going to be tortured and die. As a human being, to manage all of that would be a massive emotional, physical, and spiritual task. This is the death row inmate walking to their execution. I remember one time when I was a student at Western Washington University and involved in a campus ministry group up there. All the campus ministry groups had gotten together and we were hosting this debate between a, a very well-known and prestigious uh, uh, seminary professor and uh, one of the uh, biology professors at Western Washington University. It was hosted at this church, and I remember this really uh, 
mixed emotion feeling uh, when the, the biology professor introduced themselves and they said, uh, I have to let you know that I'm painfully aware of the reality uh, that I have come into your house uh, and I feel a bit like a sheep in a wolf's den uh, as I am greatly outnumbered and I expect nothing good to come of this. And I was like, one, I was like, what have we done that anyone would feel that way coming into the house of the Lord? Uh, that, that that should not be the case. Um, but, but two, I, I thought, man, what would, what would his walk here have been like? When have I walked into some place knowing, like, this is not going to be good? Um, and Jesus has put his whole person towards Jerusalem. And I think there's this sense in him that what he may have known about already has taken on an, uh, the, the level of reality that's hit has gone up. Um, and, and maybe not in the same context, but I think we all have moments like this. Um, in the time I've been a pastor, I've officiated uh, weddings, and there's always a moment in there where the bride or the groom at some moment, either at the rehearsal or as I'm standing up front with the guys, and the, the groom looks at me and he goes, this just got real, right? And it, it, it was real before that, but there's something now like everyone's here, this is really happening. Think about times you've moved, and, and you've planned it out, and you've packed up, and you've kind of got this idea that's happening, and then all of a sudden you look back at the space you've lived in, and it's empty. And you go, oh, this is really happening. Job transitions, going to different schools, moving out for the first time, uh, all kinds of moments have this same feeling where, oh, this just got real, or the level of reality got upped quite a bit. And I think for Jesus, he's probably experiencing a similar moment in this story. When he's turned, he's headed for Jerusalem. And this is really happening. And it's in that context that these people approach him. And he relates to each one of them in a way that I think expresses his own reality and what he has had to do. And he says, you want to follow me? I don't have a home. In fact, I left my home. And I've been wandering around. I'm counting on the hospitality of other people. And some days that works out, and some days it doesn't. If you want to follow me, that's, that's where I'm going. You want to bury your father? I'm going to a place where, at least what we know from Scripture, one of my parents is going to be around when I need to be buried. You want to say goodbye? I left my family. If you want to follow me, that's where I'm going. And they approach him in this moment where he can say, and I'm right in the thick of it. This is what's really happening. I am aggressively aware now. My sole direction is to get to Jerusalem so that I can die. The realities, the moments that Jesus is in impact his answers. If we look at other stories, I started thinking about this. What if these, these people would have approached Jesus or he would have approached them at different moments, right? We, we went over the story of Levi, the tax collector, and when Jesus called him. And what if someone would have came up to him uh, at the big celebration at, at Levi's house, the big party where he's the guest of honor, and someone said, man, I want to follow you wherever you go. Would he have said the same thing? 
Or would he have said something like, yeah, man, this is awesome. We're having a big party here. But those guys over there too, they're going to come after you, right? Because they're coming after me. They don't like what I'm doing. So if you're going to follow me, that's what it looks like. I mentioned earlier the time when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is praying and it says he's sweating his own blood. Imagine if someone would have walked up to him then and said, hey, I want to follow you wherever you're going. What would his response have been like in that moment? His response fits the situation. He is also a human being going through very real things. And he's saying, if you're going to follow me, this is actually where I'm going. He's identifying what we've called a position and a posture. That a position is like this statement. But the posture is how that statement gets lived out. You want to follow me? This is where I'm going. Is Jesus saying you have to deny and never interact with your family again? Most likely not. But he's saying your allegiance, if you're going to follow me, has to rest with me. We make decisions like this all the time if we think about it. In marrying Angie, I told everyone else that I'm choosing Angie and no one else. All other options are no longer options. When, I, uh, when Angie and I had college students living in our house, we had one uh, student who did an internship with Microsoft, and his fiance did an internship at the same time with Google. They, that greatly limited what they could talk about. They were told by the, both groups, you can talk about nothing that has to do with work. And maybe jokingly, but even said, I don't even want you talking about the ride to work. You don't talk about work with each other, right? And, and they watched them very carefully because they told each of their employees, well, my fiance is doing an internship with... <gasps> and so their employees were like, okay, we got to keep a watch on you because this is like top secret stuff that we're working on. Okay, so we make decisions that limit... What we do, and some people are going to call that a cost, but other people are going to say it doesn't matter what the cost because what I found is worth it. The decision to follow Jesus invites us to put God above all other things, to allow Him to be Lord over our lives and our person. And for each of us, the things that we say no to as we say yes to Jesus is different. Some it's money, some it's power. Could be fame, prestige, influence, control, health, comfort. It could be on some day you have a ton, and it could be on another day you've got barely anything. But the bottom line is, is that Jesus is saying you have to give up everything. Jesus says, Step in with me right now and see where I'm going. The thing I want to challenge us with today is that I'm saying that the context for Jesus, the moment he was in, influenced his decisions and then the words he was saying to people. So what does the Jesus who has died and been resurrected say to us today? Because the book of Hebrews says that Jesus was being made perfect through his suffering. That somehow through the process of being tested and in his suffering and enduring his suffering, he was made perfect. So what does Jesus, who has gone through all of that, even up to death and separation from God and resurrection, 
what does he say to us today? Would he say the same thing? Would he say that foxes have dens and birds have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Or would he say that and say, yes, all that's true, but death and resurrection, dying to yourself, living for me, you can experience that here and now. Because I believe that the act of dying and being resurrected, because it was something that no one had experienced, even Jesus up until that point, enabled him to be a different kind of help to us. So that no matter what we're going through, Jesus has been through it in the same manner, and he can say, follow me. So even the person who says, yeah, I'll be homeless, or I am homeless, Jesus can say, not only am I homeless, but I've been through that, and I've lived into resurrection life, and you can now live that too. He can say to the person who, whether it's from circumstances that they've chosen or circumstances that have come upon them, that they're distant from their family or they have no family, he can say, yeah, I've been through that. Not only am I in it, I've been through it. And I can walk with you, walk with me, follow me into resurrection life. When I see Jesus after he's been resurrected, He's not denying his suffering. He tells Thomas, look at the holes in my hands. Feel this big gash in my side. My suffering is very real. But he's being very alive. He's eating with them. He's being very present with them. He's enjoying time with them. Saying that death is not the final act. Death has no victory. One of my favorite musicians is a guy named Jason Herod, uh, and, and this is a shameless plug, but he's going to be here on August 14th doing a show. Uh, you'll hear more about that later, so you should all try to come and see that. But he has a song uh, called The Siren Song, and one of the lines in it says this, I want to sneak out. I want to peek out. I want to scratch and flare like a match in the face of pitch dark death. I think that's what following Jesus is like and what he's inviting us to to follow him and go through death to die into life to go no matter what the cost and shine light in the face of the darkest night in different spots in scripture we read parables these stories that Jesus told about people who they encountered something that when they found it it says they gave up anything and everything else and lots of times we phrase something like this and there's verses uh, and there's titles in the, in, in the Bible and there's one translated spot in, in Scripture that I don't think is the best translation, but that's okay, where it talks about counting the cost. And we might say, well, what these people did was they counted the cost and then they gave up everything. But I don't think this, the passage that we looked at today, I don't think the problem is people not counting the cost. I think the problem is people counting the cost. Jesus says, following me means you have to give up everything. That's not counting the cost. That's saying, no matter what, I'm going to follow you, and it doesn't matter what cost comes up. That's not the point. It's whatever. There's a speaker I heard recently talking to uh, middle school and high school students who are at risk for uh, dropping out. 
uh, and, and not completing school. Um, and not just that, but also getting involved in a lot of things that, that aren't very helpful. And this is what he said. He uses some athletic images in here too because some of them were athletes and it tied into their reality. But, but here's what, what he said. He said, when you want something bad enough, you can't count the cost. If you go into it counting the cost, you might quit. You might give up. You've got to go in not counting the cost. You do whatever it takes. You do what it takes every day. You do as many push-ups as it takes, as many sit-ups as it takes. You study as long as it takes. You pay whatever the price is because if you count the cost, you might give up. We just do what we have to do, and then when we're done, we look back. He said counting the cost is looking back now. And there was uh, recently on the 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 ESPY awards ESPN's yearly award ceremony uh Devon uh if anyone knows help me out he's a offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals um his daughter had cancer um and and so they gave him the Jimmy V uh sort of battling uh cancer award um and but he gave up and gave this speech and at one point he said you know um I remember going, I was in the hospital with my daughter and I went down into the chapel to pray and uh, during that time I said, God, why have you given my daughter this fight? Because she's four and a half and I'm 26 and I'm a football player and I've learned some things that I think could be helpful in, in fighting that fight, but she's only four and a half. She doesn't know. Like, why does she have this fight? And so he said, I don't remember if it was that night or a couple days later or something, but he was laying next to her and she had uh, stomach cancer and so she was laying there and she was just taking her hand like this and putting it on his stomach. And he was like, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm giving you my cancer. And he was like, so this is God's answer to my prayer. And he said, I couldn't wait to talk to the doctors and have them say, there's no cancer in your daughter's body. And the crowd just started applauding. And he just stood there and he said, when the doctors talked, what they said was the cancer had spread to her whole body. He said, God didn't answer my prayer. And he said, we had two responses we could make. We could give up or we could move forward. And we could make the best of things. And we could use this platform to advocate for people who can't advocate for themselves and for kids who are fighting cancer who don't know what to do and all this stuff. And he said, because we didn't know how hard it would be, we moved forward. Because we didn't count the cost, we moved forward. Right? And we live in such an economic time that it's, I want to count the cost and I want to make sure this is in order. And Jesus says, whatever it takes. Have you found something in me that is so compelling and so wonderful and so amazing that it doesn't matter when that cost analysis comes up? Because Jesus is offering us resurrection life today. I have a couple of questions that we'll put up here. Um, and uh, you can answer those on your uh, connection card. And at the end, you can put those in the boxes. The worship team, you can come up uh, now. Um, or these are just questions for you to think about. Um, the first one is, uh, if Jesus were to approach you today, are those going to... There we go. So first, if Jesus were to approach you today and say, follow me, which I added, I believe he does every day, what would you say to him? Now in this, 
I want you to all know that I, I think most of you know what maybe the right answer would be. Um, and if your honest answer matches the right answer, fantastic. But if your honest answer says something like, yeah, but I would really like to, or in my heart, I don't know, I've been thinking, this is making it really difficult, I want you to answer honestly. What would you say to him in this moment? Secondly, is there, any, is there something you've had to give up as a result of your deciding to follow Jesus? Whatever it's been, is there something that you have decided, I have to give that up. And even in doing so, thinking about that, you know, I remember a, a friend of mine saying, um, uh, this is when I was a college student, he was like, yeah, I used to smoke a lot of pot and do all kinds of stuff. And the moment I became a Christian, I flushed all my drugs down the toilet. He said, but I'm still struggling with pride. Right? I remember uh, hearing an interview with uh, the, 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 the band U2, and they were talking about how they had shared a meal with Johnny Cash shortly before he died. And Johnny Cash said this very beautiful, honest, heart, sort of earthy prayer. Uh, and then he said, amen. And then he looked right at one of the members of U2 and said, man, but I really miss all those drugs. Right? When we, when we look at the things we've given up, there may be still a sense of like, yeah, that was difficult. But what have you had to give up? And thirdly, uh, what is Jesus inviting you into at this point in your journey with him that feels like it is very difficult, even too difficult to give up? Whatever that may be. What are you struggling with? What is a challenge? What is, seems like it's in front of you and you, you can't get through it. Um, what is that thing? Uh, let's pray and then we'll finish with a uh, song. Dear God, I, um, I'm so thankful to you this morning. God, for your uh, invitation, Father, to come be with you. Jesus, I am so thankful for your willingness and your love for the Father that you would come and make a way for us to be part of your family. Holy Spirit, I'm grateful to you that you empower us to be able to make that decision, to be able to step forward and to be able to enter into that relationship. So God, I am thankful for you and your love and your desire for us to be reconciled and for all things to be reconciled. God, I pray that in moments where we feel some insane amount of courage and some uh, over-the-top uh, amount of faith that we're able to do things that we never believed possible, I give you great thanks for those moments. God, and I pray for us in the moments where we, we're not even sure if we have a mustard seed of faith, that, that, that our doubt is overwhelming, our fear seems like it's stifling, our anxiety levels are, are, are off the charts. I pray we'd still be able to follow because you had all those moments. 
And I pray we would hear your words, come follow me, not as someone from the outside, but as someone who has been through those things, has walked through those things, who comes and meets us in those things and invites us into deeper life. I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.